Welcome to Flex and Chill. I'm Kev. I'm Cal. Today we have an all-time episode. It's the Vancouver International Film Fest special episode. We have an esteemed guest, Natalie Sinclair, in the studio, and the three of us are going to talk about our VIF experiences, tell some VIF stories, and just talk about the festival as a whole. Uh, we go over some awesome movies in this show, so I hope you enjoy it. The VIF special episode is next on Flix and Chill. All right, we're in the three-person recording studio. We're here with special guest, Natalie Sinclair. Nat is in the house as a VIF consultant, super fan expert. Uh, Natalie, tell me, uh, first of all, welcome. And tell me about your sort of relationship to movies and relationship to VIF and why we brought you on. Perfect. Well, thanks, guys. It's just outstanding to be here uh, and the opportunity to be able to talk about two of my favorite things, the Vancouver International Film Festival and movies. I have a long affair with movies, um, and I think it's one of those things where it's so nice to be able to talk about it in this setting. And if you have never watched a movie or you watch it all the time, let's talk about it. Awesome. Uh, Cal, uh, quick quick throw to you. Um, you're, you're a VIF uh, veteran, I would say. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, for you, what, what 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 was this year's VIF all about? Like for me, I'll I'll go next after you. But but for me, it's like I'm pretty new to the festival energy. But for you, what was this VIF uh, VIF like for you? Right. Yeah. So okay. So this one was great. Uh, we had decided like during our brainstorming session that we were gonna do a VIF episode. So I kind of like kind of mentally prepared myself like I'm gonna go and try and like see a bunch of stuff. I'm not on the Natalie Sinclair level. But I went to my most screenings ever. So I went to five uh, in the past like 10 days or something. And it got me, I think I texted you. It got me so excited about movies just in general. I'm currently just like jazzed on cinema and film and everything that's surrounding it. And VIF is a perfect way to do that. Because like a lot of the time when I go to like, I don't know, Cineplex or like I go to my like local Fifth Avenue cinemas, which is just like a 15, 10 minute walk from me. I might pick something and I'll like go on like a Saturday at noon and I'll just go by myself and it's me and like I went to see The Woman King and it was me and one other person in the theater. (laughs) And like that's cool because then I get to like really lounge and I like take up four seats and I got like my everything like set up. But there's something about that's special about watching something in a movie theater about with people that are excited about watching movies. And you totally had that this year at VIF. And so I, I I could really feel that there was a total energy of just people wanted to talk to each other as well. Um, I sat down by myself to watch one of the screenings uh, of I like movies and a girl came and sat down in the seat beside me and she's like, so what have you seen? how's the festival been for you? I'm like, wow, well, I've seen five. And all of a sudden I had just like a really enjoyable 15 minute chat with this person who I, I don't even know what her name is, but she's somewhere out there. She lives in Victoria. Shout out to her. <laughs> nice. I'm sure you plugged the show. You were handing out cards, listen to flicks and chill. hundred percent. Yeah. She's, we're, we're going to be best friends. Yeah, of course. Um, you mentioned that you saw five. I saw four. Nat, you saw 11 in the house and two online for 13. I did indeed. Uh, we're gonna, number 13. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about the actual specifics of the watches and stuff as we get into the show. But for you, what was the festival environment like? And I'm sure after COVID, a couple of COVID years, um, just getting back out there. I mean, 11 in the house, packed schedule. Uh, how was it? 
No, definitely. Well, I, I think that the I always get very excited about VIF time because there's so much research that goes into it from my perspective. I start this kind of research project multiple months before VIF starts because I want to see which ones are exciting, which ones are new, which are kind of on the list, and then ones that you know I'm just kind of interested in seeing. And I think this year, exactly as you guys said, it was really exciting. There was more people out than usual. Um, you know, we went from a couple of years ago when I saw one in person, the rest on, of course, VIF Connect, the online uh, streaming platform that they uh, uh, rolled out. Um, so it was really nice. Callan, it's so funny that you talk about people talking because I found the same thing. I also found that there was a number of ones that I actually needed to put earmuffs on because people kept talking about the film and I hadn't actually seen it yet. And mm. that was one of the later films that I was going to watch. So I had to be like, no, 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 please don't talk about it. Did you like it? Okay, good. Okay, that's all I want to hear. Um, just because I didn't want to know and I don't want to you know a number of the films this year definitely had some twists and turns throughout the end um, and throughout the film. So I, I really wanted to be able to be new and uh, and to go in with really kind of eyes wide open totally um one thing i feel like for me so i have been to vif before but just like very little and so this is the first time i feel like i had gone and like really like i'm gonna go see these four on these days and, and work it around my schedule um that it really was like the name says it's like a festival style environment and there's like all the volunteers all the announcements like prior the q a's after and just the packed house, like I wanted to talk to you guys about the lineups. I know Count and I, when we talk about Decision to Leave, we'll talk about our excitement just getting to the theater. But um, for us, like getting in the lineup, because it's all like GA, general admission, going in the lineups is pretty sweet because everyone's talking about it, everyone's hyped up and it feels like way more energetic. And it does make me feel like, like think back to like the days like pre-select seating, which is just the norm right now. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, better, but... There is something special about like having the tickets to go watch uh, like a show and then having to get there early if you actually want to like sit in a reasonable spot or get four or five people together. Mm-hmm. Um, because and I know you had mentioned before the recording, Nat, that if you're one person and you want to just go in and sit, that's fine. You're yep. going to be fine. Like your yep. event, you have your ticket, you're going to get in and you're just going to get a fine seat for Definitely. one person. But if you're six, like you got to be on it. If you want to get a spot together, sit three and three or six across. I know like for the whale, when we went, we had a bit of a mob watch with seven or six, six, six. And it was like, we had to get, we had to get there early when we get scrambled down three to the popcorn line, three front block, the block, the things. And it's like, that's kind of part of the fun too. Totally. Um, I have to say, actually, that it's actually a little bit competitive. Like, if you're, again, a watcher like mm-hmm. me, um, I know the same people that I see there each time. Now. Like, <laughs> even though we don't actually know each other, we look at each other and we're like, oh, yeah, okay, hi, yeah, yeah. nice to see you, nice to see you. And I remember it just being where, like, I am get there and I'm nervous to get in because I don't know where I'm going to be able to sit. I don't know if I'll be able to sit on this side. I try to sometimes switch it out, but, of course, I have a preference of one side over the other. And I like to usually sit a little bit farther back because I like kind of the full ambiance. Um, but it is, it gets a little competitive but you are right that you sometimes have to plan if you go with a big group um just have it where you go a little bit earlier you get to enjoy it again for those people that have never been before that totally is excitement not to say you don't you know need to get dressed up but like make a night of it you know you can go out for dinner you can you know have a movie before i saw multiple movies on one night uh and you can also do that too yeah that's that's pretty funny going to back-to-back <laughs> screenings of different movies we, we had thought about that and honestly i'm happy i didn't especially on one of those nights where um I mean, I'm sure if you've been listening, you know, I've had like some back injuries along the way and this, the seats at cinema for perform the center for performing arts. Now, not, 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 not scathing anything. That's a great barn. And it was absolutely packed for every screening, but 
it's pretty tight in there. And <laughs> I was like, I was like, you know, kneecaps to ears for a few of the screenings. I was like, this is, I'm fucking sore. So I, <laughs> I packed two cushions for the rest of the screenings. After the decision to leave, I was like a walking ball of tight muscles. And well, the three of us are not small people either. So we need the room. Yeah. yeah, we got some big folks here. <laughs> I, we were a little naive going into the decision to leave. Our friends had a, a, a barbecue over at their place, and we were just like having a great time in their backyard. And then the screening was for 9.15, and we had to get from their place uh, down to, to downtown Vancouver. And we're like, okay, we're going to drive. It's no problem. And we were just like kind of, I think, thinking in our like, old mind of like we go to cineplex and we just walk in and then as we like started going i was like oh my god i haven't been to viff in a while a couple years because of covid and we're kind of in trouble right now because it's 9 p.m on a friday night i think we left in my head i was like we're gonna leave at 8 30 it's gonna be okay and then of course we did it dilly dally and so we actually left at like 8 40 then we like swapped cars we get down there and we just cannot find parking anywhere downtown and it was like this stressful environment of like sam and kev are both in the car and i'm driving and we're like trying to find street parking we're trying to find like a parkade and we like don't know really the ins and outs of this like situation and like we even pulled into one parking lot and like then it was going to close at 11 so then our car would have been locked in there and then we actually found one right on the street when we came out of that, but it was, I think we circled like six blocks, like four times. And it was just not a stress free <laughs> way to start our movie watching experience. And then we get in there and then the movie itself was like almost two hours and 20 minutes plus like 25 minutes of like pre-screening stuff. It was like a long time and you're back and we're sweaty and just, <laughs> We didn't start out right. No. We, yeah. It's like we weren't in line getting to relax and then go get our spot. It's like we were stressed about getting three. Like we we like walked into the first area and we were like, hey, for three. And the usher was like, no, that's not <laughs> happening. And we were like, fuck, like we're going to have to split up. That's okay. That can happen. I think yeah. he said, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then we went upstairs and like the like mid balcony, yeah. it was just like bolted shut. They were like, the people were like bodyguarding it. They're like, you, it's full. you just can't come in. We were like, oh my God, I went to the top, top balcony. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when we got up there, we were like, any space for three? And the guy was like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm sure there's space. For it. And I was like, okay. I should have started here. Yeah. Go from the top. Down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. I should also say too with Viff, you know, especially because some of, you know, your listeners may not actually know kind of the Viff process and such. There's a lot of different, and it's very uh, flexible on the ticket types that you can go. I mean, there's student, there's not. Um, you can get ticket packs, so it can be very reasonably priced. You can get actual festival uh, <coughs> passes, um, and you can also do standby. So there's a lot of different opportunity for people, and really think of the festival as very accessible for everyone. You can look, you can go the day of, you know, sometimes there are tickets available sometimes there are not um but really think guys like it's really worth it to go and try and look it out and you know in most cases you won't be disappointed i wanted to ask nat have you ever done a standby ticket Okay, I've done a standby ticket once and it did work. And again, for the listeners, what a standby ticket means is essentially that you didn't get the ticket. They were essentially quote unquote sold out, but they assume that some people that have tickets won't actually show up. And so you mm-hmm. can stand in a separate standby line, um, which this year, what I was surprised about is the number of people that were in that They're line. Huge yeah. And a lot of yeah. those people did not get in. And so they wait and probably some of your stress too about actually making it to the movie was that if you don't get there by a certain time, then they 
release your ticket. So you have to be a bit kind of cautious, but I have done it once and I was successful, but I think I was, you know, not to summer from you guys from one of the movies, probably the first one in line, um, but hard to do. And again, a little bit more stressful if um, thing. You know. It's like flying standby, yeah. which right. is like someone misses their flights and you get their spot or yeah. um, they just assume that's kind of going to happen. But yeah, I saw, so I saw some pretty big stand, st- standby lines. I was thinking to myself, I was like, I saw like a 50 person standby line and, and I was like, those people aren't getting in. Like no, the, no. The, 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 it's like sold out and I could see there's like thousand people in lineup for their just like, yeah. you know, ticket holders. Yeah. But I mean, and, I'm and sure don't get overwhelmed too. Right. But with the lines, cause I think that that was a little bit different, especially if you go to the center, which of course is one of their marquees, you know, opening and closing. 1800 gala. people. That it's a lot of people and it looks, you know, you're wrapping around, you're in the alley, you're around the thing. Don't worry. <laughs> everybody will get in. I yeah. mean, your seat will be a little bit different than maybe you had expected, but just think like, you know, you're all going to be together. You know, you can or cannot wear a mask. I actually wore a mask for all of them. Uh, and that was more just cause I went to so many of them. Um, and I have a young uh, baby at home, but I think it's just one of those things where again, you can really make it work. And if you don't want to go to the movie, they also now have the Viv Connect, which is cool, um, you know, to watch from the comfort of your home. Mm-hmm. Nat, a uh, quick question for you. You saw 13. What Can you go into a little more detail about your process of like how you determine? I know you said you've got the spreadsheet out and you've got your thoughts, but, you know, how do you decide on specific ones? Is it just schedule based or is it like a little bit of schedule and a little bit of like, this is something I really want to see? Or do you build it around like three that, are like, I must go to these and let's filter some other ones around it. Yeah, no, I think it's a good question. Um, I usually do not go via schedule based. I actually will usually look through the entire program. I will almost go A to Z. Um, and I will say, oh, you know, read all the synopsis, um, you know, what's of interest. And then I actually create the schedule after the fact. There was a couple of shows even this year that only had one screening. So if I really wanted to see that film, that was the only time. And if another one was at that time, I tried to see an alternate or, you know, in this case, there was a couple that I wanted to see that you guys got to um, that I just kind of couldn't fit in but I would say that usually how I'm choosing them is a combination of um, the director um, and actor so if it was you know a particular actor um, internationally speaking that I really like um, or that a director that I've seen before um, in my kind of top five movies of all time two of them I've actually seen at Passive If so I always go to if they come back if a director comes back with a new film I go to that first Um, and then I think um, I also go very much country specific so I do the A to Z but then I also do it kind of based on um, where the films are from I'm a big um, as people that know me Scandinavian fan so any type of Scandinavian options, I will almost always gravitate towards those. Um, and then, you know, I'll kind of try to pepper it in also by a little bit of the hype. Um, you know, some of these festivals are having world or North American or Canadian premieres. Um, other ones will have premiered at other, you know, festivals previously and the hype kind of has started there. So it's um, one of those ones where I try to kind of get those those through first because I know that will be the ones that will kind of be talked about later. Um, but it definitely is a process um, and it is one of those things where, yeah, there are spreadsheets. My husband would be very happy um to hear that um and i also have to say a huge shout out to my husband because one of the reasons why i was able to go to so many is to have you know a nice kind of supportive spouse and of course a whole family and like i said i had a baby three and a half months ago um and so i think a lot of listeners are probably like she went to how many movies don't worry most of the movies were at night everyone was already asleep um but it was definitely a little bit more kind of planning um but it really was a a team effort so i'm happy to be here to uh to talk about the the, uh the whole experience i like the i like the thought of you just like at home with like dual screens like you're <laughs> Penelope from Criminal Minds and you've got like like A to Z like catalog of the movies you've got your schedule like up over here you've got a whole like whiteboard and and everything and you're putting your whole thing together that's that's how I picture it going down <laughs> with a baby yeah 
totally. Of course. Yeah. Multitasking, guys. Yeah, and then you brought the, brought the kid to every screening. Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Why, <laughs> people, why it did really People well. love yeah. that. <laughs> okay. Um, let's get into a section I want to call Vith Memory. Um, let's start with you, Cal. Um, do you have any, like, standout screenings from previous uh, VIFs that you either want to talk about or ones that have, like, you know, permeated into into like pop culture or huge hits or ones that are just special to you? Yeah. Uh, in 2018, I saw a little ditty called Parasite. Never heard of it. Yeah. So what? I, and I just went on like, oh, kind of like, oh, I've like heard of the director Bong Joon-ho. That's, that's cool. I, I think I'd seen like one of his movies previously going into it. And I was like, yeah, he's good. Like, I don't really know what the, like, oh, it's about a South Korean family. Like, let's do it. And I went with, like, not very high expectations. And all of a sudden, I was just, like, I was blown away. by. I mean, obviously, that movie's incredible. And it just felt really cool to get in so early. Like, you see it uh, in October. And then... Like, there's not really that much, like, energy about it, like, November, December. And then, like, slowly, like, this buzz starts happening. I'm like, could this actually happen? Like, do something at the Oscars? And then, of course, it wins. And it was in February. And that was, like, really exciting for me. And I, like, in my head, I was like, yeah, I was there. I was there early. (laughs) And I just, like, remember feeling really cool about that. But Yeah, you're proud. Yeah. I, I, like, of course, I loved the movie. And so that one like really stood out for me. And I remember like watching it in like a, a packed theater. Like when, when you watch with like 1800 people, there is an energy to it. And then uh, I went for ramen afterwards, same place that we went to after we saw the Grizzly Truth. Nice. So shout out to full, Virginia. Full circle. Yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty sweet. I mean, I feel like I remember the first time I saw that movie and it was just like at home on my own. Yeah. But it's, it's one of those ones that, I mean, it's a, it's an all-time heater. So mm-hmm. seeing that in a huge crowd, I can only imagine that like the energy of the crowd, they were probably like, people were probably like shocked at some of the stuff that was happening. Well, especially at the end, but the movie's really funny too. For sure. And it like has a lot of comedy just going through it, especially like kind of like the first half. So it was like pretty uproarious going on in the theater and I was just like having a ball and it's it's a cool thing when you go in with like no expectations you're just like I'm gonna go hang out with a friend watch this movie and then you see one of the best movies you've ever seen yeah so that's my standout performance what about you Nat uh I think that the uh, the two movies uh, like I had mentioned before I have kind of a top five list of all time um, and it just so happened that actually two of the films that I had seen um, were at VIF and 2014 was a very good year um, because two of them actually again were 2014 it's Force Majeure aka The Tourist which is a Swedish film by Ruben Ostlund um, who has a film this year a Triangle of Sadness um, and Clouds of Sils Maria which was uh, also 2014 um, with Oliver Assayas um, and both of those again it was one of those things where you go into it not knowing what to expect and you come out of it and I think I 
there's a number of reasons why we like movies and, you know, we, or of course dislike movies or whichever. And I think one of the things that I always have is if, if I'm thinking about it later and I want to tell people about it, um, I know I have a winner and it's just one of those things where I'm excited. You know, it's the same as, um, you know, I'd love to go to a cocktail party and tell everyone I'm an insurance broker because I love to be, because there's no other people that are like that. And it's one of those things where you just get to talk about something in a really cool way and your take on it, which can be totally different than the person sitting on your left, sitting on your right. But yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, both of those were, uh, super duper highlights. It's funny for, for, force majeure and, and, uh, Ausland, I went on like a internet and like trailer, punched through triangle of sadness i was like what's this all about watched it and i was like damn put it on my watch list and then i clicked on the director opened up his thing click on force majeure trailer damn okay this is going on the list so like i feel like i've got a ruben osland catalog to go through starting asap yeah um definitely that's pretty cool i i saw uh killing of a sacred deer in 2017 with dre uh i remember he just like called me and he was like hey alana's sick um and we've got viv tickets in like an hour do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, sure. So we went, same thing, like lined up, lined up around the block, got in and watched it. And I like, I wasn't as movie enthusiastic as I am now. And so I feel like I didn't really know what to expect. I was just like, oh, okay. It's like a Colin Farrell movie. That movie is like pretty intense. Definitely. And, uh, and yeah, I, I loved it. And I had never seen like any Yorgos Lanthimos movies before. And they have like a style and a flavor to them, like the lobster and the favorite. Um, and since being like, I've been feeling like I'm a pretty big fan. And I feel like it started that night when I walked out and I was like, that is, that was something like that was wild. Also Barry Keegan, who mm-hmm. like is going to be the new choker in the, in the Batman with our pats. Yeah. Um, he's a pretty good film presence. And, and he was like a pretty young kid in that movie. Like he was like a young actor. It's so his character's so dark, and like you want to like root for him at the beginning, but then he's not at the end. end. No, <laughs> but I feel like, especially like a movie like that, um, it's that's different. It's a lot different than going to like a big like blockbuster hit in like a you know cineplex. I really felt I was like, damn, this is like film. You know, this is like cinema, art, mm. art film. This is amazing. And I walked out, I was like, that's sick. And I still think about that. And that's like, just to, to your point, Nat is like, you know, when you like think about specific moments from a movie, like a few years later, you're like, damn, like that's, that's like, you, you know, you have a winner. I feel like, um, yeah, Yorgos's movies are, they all have that like kind of intense feeling to them. Like the favorite, like I feel like weeks after the favorite, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about moments from it. So, but I think that that's also a good point too about like why we go to Viv is, you know, there's definitely a trend. And of course, some of us have been on it longer than others about supporting local. And, and I think that, you know, whether it's Canadian or BC, you know, we'll talk about a little bit of that later. It's, it's really nice to be able to have that support and to say, you know what, film is film. doesn't matter where it's from. You know, you can enjoy it on so many different levels. A question about Killing of a Sacred Deer. Do you know if Alana's seen it since? Good question. I don't know. I know she didn't see it that day because I took her ticket. Because um. I'm, uh, I'm pretty familiar with like the types of movies that she likes, as well as maybe even more familiar with the movies that she doesn't like. And I don't know if I don't think she, that she would like bode well with that one. Yeah, that's a good point. So maybe like I saved her. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, Kevin the Savior. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Filled that seat. Um, Nat, as a film fest enthusiast, two questions. One, um, do you remember like your first time 
either first time going to VIF or your first time like taking VIF seriously. Like today, like this year, I would consider as like 2022 is the first time I took VIF as like a thing where I read through all the entries, went to my movies. Do you remember the first time you did that? Either to the year or like roughly? It was probably in the like early 2010s um, that I probably... Like 10 years ago. Yeah, pretty yeah. much 10 years ago that I kind of sat down and I said, you know, this is really something that I think that I can kind of contribute. And I know that sounds a little bit weird, but it's one of those things where I find that what I learned during VIF and what I'm able to kind of immerse and be there, that I bring it to so many different other circles, whether it's a dinner party, whether it's, you know, you're going for coffee, whether it's just somebody's like, you know, what do you think I should see? Um, that I really like being that person. And, and like you said, I think we're probably close to a decade now. Um, some of them, you know, when I was preparing for this, I had to go back and I said, gosh, I don't really remember seeing that. And that is, I mean, VIF is that you sometimes have films that you go to and you say, that was uh, a very lengthy amount of time to spend for maybe what was put out. Uh, you don't always like all of them. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's meant to be, you know, a component of artsy fartsy in the nicest way possible. And you don't always like all of them. But, um, but I think that that's the ability, you know, you kind of got to go to some ones that you don't like quite as much to then again, have, you know, on a list of five, again, I, I watch a lot of movies. Um, two of them came from VIF and I would maybe not have seen it or I would not have thought about it in the same way after the fact it had not actually been in the VIF setting. Right. Sometimes you miss. Yep. That's just like a reality of going to watch anything. Totally. Um, okay. Follow-up question. Um, and we had talked about this a little bit before, but if you were to go to any other international film fest, cause like VIF is right here, mm -hmm. so it's like pretty accessible. Yep. And yeah. So if there's any other ones that you would want to go to, what would they be? I think definitely the number one would be Cannes. Um, you know, I'd actually thought about, you know, when, you know, you plan kind of other events to go to, like Oktoberfest in Munich, you know, go do this and that, like all this kind of stuff. I think one of the ones definitely would be Cannes um, because some of the choosing that I do, I definitely place the Cannes, um, you know, judging criteria at potentially a different level than others. So I mm. find that that's a bit of a standard for me. Um, and then I think it would be really cool to see something like Sundance, um, you know, something that has like a definitely a different flavor, a definitely a different probably audience um, um, and doesn't kind of have same glitz and glam. Um, but at the end of the day, again, like we're there to watch movies um, and, uh, uh, and just kind of completely enjoy. So I'll see how much I can get done of either of those. <laughs> yeah, I know. I always think about that. I'm like, that could be so cool. And then I'm like, man, I've barely been to VIF. Yeah. It seems like it seems like if I were to go to like Telluride, it's like, what am I doing out here? You know, it's like I can go to an A triple plus film festival in my hometown. Um, I feel like I would be interested to, to going to Toronto. Yep. And yeah, TIFF would be cool. I know that there's like, a, they like they get a lot of like premieres, like national inter international premieres in, in Toronto. Um, I also just feel like, I mean, I like Toronto. I know I, I know what I'm getting when I go there and maybe it's just that like home country feel, but I'm like, it could be kind of cool. It's like, a, it's like VIF, but bigger and, and better and more international premieres and stuff. And, and I have been to the Lightbox theater down there, the, like the TIFF theater. Mm -hmm. Um, cool. cause one of my friends like worked at the, like worked at the bar there. Um, so I just feel like I, I could, get, and that one also feels like I could actually do it. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, I'm just oh, not totally. going to go. Um, it's very unlikely that I'm going to go to like tell you ride or something. It sounds like really right. expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of prohibitive to be honest. No, totally. Um, whereas like going to Toronto, probably staying with a friend for free and going to like some of the movies, that seems pretty doable. Like I could just do it next year, you know? Yeah. So I'm putting that on my as like more reasonable bucket list. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, maybe like con cans yeah. Yeah. or Sundance on my like long-term one. Yeah, Cal? Totally. Yeah. I mean, you've named them both, but I've never been to Toronto. The city? Never. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. Let's never. Go I don't think I knew that. Uh, let's. Sure. Yeah. 
So I think that would be really cool. I mean, it gets all like the big premieres that like VIF gets, but it, like you'll go to a showing at VIF and it'll be like, this premiered two weeks ago in, at yeah, TIFF. Yeah. And you're like, sweet, I can't wait to see it. Like, But they get like first, the, first the, 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 the Q&As and all the stuff that happens there for the bigger premieres happens there. So I think that would be really cool. Never been to Toronto. I'd like to see that. And I, I, I mean, just reading about it, it like, it kind of like really takes over the city and like mm-hmm. the downtown core is what I hear. And they like block off a lot of streets and there's just like a lot of activity going on. So I'd, I'd like to experience something like that. And you keep talking about Telluride. Um, we listen to a similar podcast where they talk about it a lot and it just uh, like, yeah, trying to get to Utah in, I think it's like <laughs> August. Uh, I mean, it just, it sounds cool to go. And there's like, sometimes you have to take like a gondola to, like a, a movie theater up a mountain and you're like, ah, oh, that sounds really cool. So those adding are the adding to the experience for sure. Put it on the long-term one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That sounds more doable than like going to Venice though. So that's true. You do see, you do see like at cons and at Toronto and New York film fest and stuff. You see when you like look at the social media and it's stuff, it's like this person's in, in town they're they're in toronto and it's like you know like a huge celebrity or like the director and you're like ah, they're not coming to vancouver <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly but sometimes we got some cool q a's though absolutely yeah. um yeah. with that in mind let's let's pivot to talking a little bit more um in detail about this year's um film fest cal just before we do that i gotta give a big thank you to our friend malcolm who equipped us with a bunch of like high-tech equipment so that we can actually do this recording in the same room uh and yeah it's like we fancy it's it's really cool we each Uh, have our own mic it's really cool yeah we've got headphones on and a a sound mixer yeah we'll post a photo to to social but we're absolutely (laughs) living the high life right now with our like full professional podcasting outfit so thank you malcolm for running us through the uh yeah, running us through the the ins and outs, but it's it's pretty sweet. He literally came over last night and he was like, "Okay, so and he like hooked everything up. Like he was pretty much our sound engineer." And then he was like, "All you got to do to like record is press the on button or whatever." And that's what we did today. Yeah, so. we absolutely he aced it. By the way, so if he's listening, he'll know that yeah. I just pressed on and then plugged in, and boom, it worked perfectly. So there we go. I'll take like twelve percent credit. Perfect. <laughs> I'll take. 50% by securing him. Yeah. And then 80. Yeah. yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I want to start, uh, start things off with asking Nat to break down her two favorites on the list that she saw that, that aren't ones that we saw. Then we're going to go into a little conversation about the ones we all saw. And then we've got a little bit of a closeout conversation about a couple that Callan and I saw together um, that Nat didn't see. So we've got a little bit of all flavor and uh, we're going to pepper Nat with some of the questions. So Nat, uh, you saw 13, but we asked you to whittle it down to two favorites and ones that you want to recommend and talk a little bit about. So um, fire away. Yeah, no, definitely. I'll, I'll start with Until Branches Bend. Um, I saw this at the Rio um, and what was really cool is the director was there and, you know, like we've talked about a little bit and will later, it's really nice to be able to have the actual person there and their excitement and their, you know, take on it, especially if there's a Q&A after. Um, it is a Canadian drama. It actually did win the best BC film. Um, it's directed by Sophie Jarvis um, and it essentially stars a woman, uh, Grace Glowalki, as 
is Robin, and she's a cannery worker who finds what she believes to be an invasive insect inside a locally grown peach um, and must convince the community to take the threat seriously. Um, very, very well done. I went into it um, with, I would say, maybe moderate um, expectations, and I thought that it was a really interesting story. Uh, and lots of different layers, very well cast cool because it was filmed in the Okanagan um, but you, they never say exactly where it is but of course you see the giant peach and you kind of have some inklings of, of what happens and I think it's a really kind of interesting story um, about um, you know communication and how you know one person can make things very difficult or very easy um, for a community especially one that is very reliant on farming let's say agriculture um, and kind of a lot of layers of different kind of social social uh, uh, um, engineering, if you will. So until branches bend, I would highly recommend it. Um, <clears throat> we have one thing um, that like stands out. I haven't seen this movie, but but I'm taking your recommendation. I'm definitely gonna watch it. But I think it's also cool when you see like directorial debuts, and um, you know, like you said, like the the, the directors like they are they're a little bit more accessible, mm-hmm. and um, it's usually like a smaller scale movie, like smaller bit smaller scope story, like yep. less casting because it's just like the reality of like filmmaking especially in Canada if you're a first timer mm-hmm. um did did you did you feel and this is like I'm answering one of my my own questions for myself later on when we're going to talk about Rice Boy Sleeps but did did you feel like it was like pretty small like pretty small contained or was it like a pretty wide-reaching story uh, that is a difficult question only because I mean I think that because I knew kind of where it w- was taking place then you know you know that you know the Okanagan uh, you know has of course wine and, and whichever you know fruit um, I thought it was really interesting how it was a peach that was chosen um, and so I would say that it probably appeals to again a wider audience of individuals um, where it's you know kind of a little bit of uh, a whistleblower um, to the a local level, if you will. Sure. You know, we're so used to seeing whistleblowers at, you know, um, you know, huge, huge, you know, multi, you know, billion dollar companies that it was kind of almost nice to see it on a level where it was how one woman could essentially completely be alienated from a community because of something that she thinks that she's seen. Um, and, you know, the layers of, you know, people and, and uh, you know, she has her own kind of components that she's um, needing to... Uh, uh, you know, her own demons, if you will. Um, and then, uh, and then again, interesting familial kind of connections because her sister plays a prominent role in the film as well. So there's just a lot of different layers. Definitely, I would say has a little bit more of a local flair, um, but one that's still, it's an ageless story. You know, at the end of the day, do you do the right thing? And sometimes, um, what does it cost you? Right. It's a scalable political thriller set in a perfect in the okanagan (laughs) yeah in the lovely little land of the okanagan yeah uh i wanted to ask you about the star grace glowicki Mm -hmm. uh so i saw her in a movie at vif in 2019 it's a movie called raf where my friend harry he directed it and he wrote and directed and they're friends so he got her to star in it and they had met in toronto and stuff so and I actually didn't know that she was in this, so I got kind of excited when you said her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found her like really magnetic and super quirky and stuff. Does she come like? Does she 
have that same energy in this movie or yes definitely quirky i think is the perfect way to describe it i actually have somebody i have a friend that is very similar um and so what was very you know personal to me is that i kept seeing this person and i kept seeing my friend because there was definitely a comparison um and you know i'd say that all of us definitely have quirks um you know even her body style she's a very very lean woman Mm -hmm. very tall um has terrible posture throughout the entire movie um and uh, whether that's her in real life or that put on Uh, I mean it was just expertly done where it was just you never exactly also know her age um, so you're not sure kind of how she fits into the community there's of course a familial connection as well where her parents had been um, you know farmers um, in in the agricultural business and they had been affected by a previous moth infestation so there's just a lot of different layers of um, of issues and it it really was a nice kind of way to be able to see like a a local but it wasn't you know like main street but it only has one street it was big enough that you kind of felt oh like this is actually doable right um but um but again just a very interesting story um and uh and yeah still had kind of some surprising turns um and good music again overall two thumbs up two thumbs up yep the other one that I saw um, was Holy Spider. Um, this is a, a very interesting one where essentially a journalist descends into a dark underbelly of the Iranian holy city um, of Mashhad, and she investigates the serial killings of sex workers by the so-called spider in the streets killer um, who believes he's cleaning the streets essentially of sinners. So definitely a very different uh, comparison in terms of uh, content, but again, very surprising. You know, Callan, you had mentioned you go into a movie with no expectations. Um, I'd gone into the movie with relatively low expectations in terms of I didn't know enough about it um, and uh, many of the actors were not ones that I um, had experienced previously um, it was very kind of deep content definitely graphic um, so I would kind of caution kind of from that standpoint just the basis of the movie as well as the movie itself um, but um, you know you don't always get particular subject matter from different Middle Eastern countries that focus on something different so this was a, a little bit of a different focus um and and just well well done and you know you keep a little bit again rooting for the underdog um but then at the same time you're like there's no way he could get away with that there's no way this can happen um but again a very realistic uh trend if you will or kind of spin on the movie and sorry so what was the title of that one it's called holy spider holy spider yes i find when i watch like foreign language movies the movie's not in english and i I don't, I never know like what to expect because I'm, because I know I'm going to be having to read sub subtitles yep. and not that that makes it like better or worse or anything, but I do find I'm like, okay, I, I almost like am more, I'm like, I got to get ready to work mm-hmm. this, this evening. It's yep. like, I'm not just going to like kick my feet back and like casually watch like a, a movie. Definitely. And I feel like, and, and, and especially sounds like with the subject matter that like you showed up and you're, it's like getting ready to kind of like work and listen and understand what's happening and like read it. It almost, it almost feels like I get, I wind up getting a little bit more out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure how you felt about this one, but it's especially with the subject matter that they're like investigating here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did you find that, that like, because it was like an Iranian movie that you almost had like more focus in trying to learn and understand what was going on? Well, definitely. And I wasn't sure at the beginning whether or not it was based on kind of a true story. My understanding is that there was kind of true elements that actually happened in between 2000 and 2001. Um, and there was this 
again, whether or not it follows it perfectly or whichever, I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I know that there was kind of some truth to it. Um, so I think that it was nice. I mean, both of these just so happen to also be female protagonists. Um, so I think that's an interesting one too, that, you know, you sometimes will have VIFs um, that have, you know, particular characters that you see every year. Um, but I think that this was one where, um, yeah, both of them had really kind of interesting uh, content that you have seen in other movies before but in a totally different setting or with a different spin at the end where you say you know you start to question is that person doing the right thing um, or maybe if I had it again would they do it that same way and I think those type of questions are really nice because you come away and you want to answer them you want to talk about it you want to you know be on a podcast to be able to uh uh, to be able to see what you think and what other people think. So again, but I, I would, again, caution that Holy Spider definitely is a, a much more graphic film. Um, um, but one that, again, if you're looking for something that's a little bit different, set in a different, um, I would say, part of the world that you're not always seeing um, in a positive or negative light, that I think that that's one of those ones where it's um, it's worth it to go. And then again, Until Branch has been very cool. And again, won the BC Award. So I'm a bit of a sucker for sometimes award winners. Yeah. Well, yeah. And local stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, they both sound great. And I had heard about Until Branches Bend uh, before. So I hope that I get to see both of them. Totally. Um, quick question. Did you see Triangle of Sadness? I did. Okay. Yes. Good. How was it? Uh, the reason I didn't talk about it was that I'd say Ruben, the director, as I'd mentioned earlier, um, he's very different. Um, and uh, if, you know, your listeners have seen other ones, you know, the square, for example, you know, triangle, satin, whichever, I would say that, um, force majeure was definitely what I would consider his crown jewel square and triangle sadness are very different films. Uh, and I don't think I enjoyed them as much. Um, but I would say that, uh, the way that triangle sadness was done, um, and, uh, I mean, it was in English, so that was also quite different because the other previous films are often in a Scandinavian language. Right. Um, but yeah, it was a very different film. There was a number of points where I was like, Oh my gosh, did like, did that just happen? Like, Oh, so I, I would say, but it has a cool, cool way. Um, again, we could spend kind of significantly more time talking about it, um, but I didn't put it on the list um, just because, again, it's a little bit different. And I know that when some individuals got out of the theater, they were like, oh, okay. So right. again, I, I'm a little careful when you know making recommendations like that. Well, the reason I, the reason I ask is I feel like we had other movies on our list that we hope we wanted to see. And for me, After Sun and... Triangle of Sadness were were the ones that like I couldn't get yeah. into my schedule or whatnot. But Cal, were there any others from the VIF uh, portfolio that that sort of slid off the side that you weren't able to see? Yeah, I wanted to see a movie called I think it's Crows of Bones, mm-hmm. um, which is about dealing with the impact of residential schools in Canada. And I believe there was uh, I'm like I'm trying to remember the, the name off the top of my head, but it was about uh, African. Uh, American hockey players. Black Ice. Black Ice. Black ice. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I wanted to see that. That and one's gonna be on TSN and Crave, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yes. Not 100% sure. It will be. So, yeah. Yeah. Um and part of the reason I wanted to see that was because the director is my ba- growing up my basketball coach's son. Uh so I had this like little personal connection to it and he had actually made a documentary on my like former basketball coach uh that was like years ago nominated for an Oscar. So I thought it would be cool to go and see Hubert Davis's film. Um, but yes, I like, I, I look forward to seeing black ice and I, I hope that 
Bones of Crows is available at some point. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the problem with like seeing film festivals. I mean, like we're going to talk about a movie, Bryce Boy Sleeps, in a little bit. I don't know how. Like I, I, I absolutely loved it. It's a favorite one that I saw. I don't necessarily know like how to direct people to go and see it yep. now. Well, we just can't right now, but just keep your eyes out for it. Yeah. yeah, it's not. But whereas with Triangle of Sadness, it's actually out in like major theaters right now. Yeah. You can go tomorrow. Right. So. Yeah, no, definitely. One uh, of the ones- I'm sure that Crows will be available because it, I think it was the opening gala. So I would say that it probably would have a- I, I feel like it has some like crazy Wider audience too. Or something. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that I wanted to see was the Banishees of Nishirin. Oh, yeah, and I feel me like, too. I mean, just from, especially from following like movie Twitter and stuff that, that that's got a little bit of clout to it. And it's going to, it has the In Bruges gang back ask, together. have you seen In Bruges? Mm-hmm. Okay. And it feels like it's going to be good and kind of, I remember, I remember I watched the trailer and I was like, ah, this is, this is going to hit. Yeah. But I, I also looked and I just couldn't. No. We just couldn't go. Well, so. and it only had one screening. Yeah. And even myself, again, who was really on this, couldn't get a ticket. It was, I looked and I was like, oh, it's, a, it's already on standby. And I said, what? This is the one that I really wanted to yeah, see. Yeah, it's going to be a huge hit. But it so. is going to come out. I was doing, you know, in kind of preparation for this, this will be out and wider audience actually as of October now. So okay. it will be released on a, a wider scale too. I was texting with Kev and I'm like, I'm thinking about Black Eyes. I'm thinking of Bones of Crows. Like a couple more screenings. What do you think, Kev? He's like, yeah, like maybe Banshees and Cheering. I'm like, well, it starts in one hour, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we're going to make it. He's like, oh, nope. okay. Yeah, I was yeah. a little less plugged into like scheduling. I was more just like <laughs> flying with my heart and not my brain as much. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, let's let's uh, spend a little bit of time talking about the ones that we've collectively watched. So we, all the three of us watched Decision to Leave, the Park Chan Wook movie, and The Whale. So I'm just going to dive right into the description of, of uh, Decision to Leave, and we can have a little uh, banter about it and then talk about The Whale. So Decision to Leave is Park Chan-wook's uh, 2022 uh, romantic thriller, what a genre, by the way, um, where a detective um, is investigating the death of a, like a suspicious death on, the, on a mountaintop and is suspecting his wife, but also kind of becoming like romantically and, and like, a, like obsessed and infatuated with said wife. So um, that's the setting. Um, it's a Korean language movie and, um, I loved it. I like, we had talked about off the top of the show that we had a bit of a stressful, uh, action getting there and getting settled. So, um, actually environmentally, I was a little bit uncomfortable. I was like sore and like way too hot (laughs) and I was just like, stay focused, Kev. Um, but I really, I really enjoyed it. And like, and like you said, um, earlier, Nat, that you, you felt like you were a little confused during it. I also was confused, but I also felt like it didn't really matter that I was a little confused because of like what I was seeing. I was pretty impressed. Park Chan Wook, director of The Handmaiden and the um, Revenge trilogy with like Old Boy, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and he did Stoker. He's, he's awesome in his stuff. And I'm pretty much like a blind fan at this point. And so I knew I was going, I went in expecting to like it and I did like it. Cal? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. I didn't love it because I think the confusion took me a little bit out of it. And there were like certain moments where there would be a woman on screen and I was like, who is this person? And then I eventually figured it out. But sometimes I just had like a little bit of trouble following which of the characters were who. Um, but some of my like, he doesn't like cinematic tricks that I really loved for example like they do a lot of like crime recreations in the sense that where like the detectives are just walking through 
he's supposed to be this like precocious detective who he has he's he's an insomniac so all he does is think about his job and he has a wife on the weekends on the he has a wife on the weekends (laughs) who lives outside of the city uh where he he lives in busan but and works in busan and he goes to see her on the weekends but all week he just like is obsessive about his job and he's just always working and his he, like I said he never sleeps and when he walks through the the crime and how he's pieced together what actually happened uh it, it's like a really cool thing where you actually like watch it happening and he's like in the shot himself just like moving around but also this is happening on top of a mountaintop and he's like literally climbing as if he we were He's in free solo at one point. He's got the ropes, but it it looks incredible. And I love those little like aspects that like Park Chan Wook is working with in those moments. Um, yeah, that's kind of like my big spiel about it, I would say. And it's less about who did the crime and more about his like growing obsession with the uh, the widow. So yeah, Nat, what did you think of it? Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, Kev definitely mentioned that at one point, again, I was confused. I said, well, did this happen? Um, And I think that, you know, decision to leave, the title itself is really interesting, where it really is like all of the characters in the film have decisions to make. And it's a, at the end, it's a decision of whether a character leaves or not, whether, you know, by her choice or, or whichever. I think that what's, you know, what Wook really does well is I loved the insomnia and I loved the language, um, as we'd mentioned, is a Korean film, but the uh, two characters, you know, I'll maybe call them opposing, but of course, you know, there's definitely a connection there. Um, you know, one speaks Korean and one speaks Mandarin. Uh, and so the ability to kind of have, I know that tech was kind of a big piece that he really wanted to focus on the film and to be able to have, you know, characters who seemingly are very connected, but they don't speak the same language. And remember at the end of the day, you don't need to speak the same language. There are, you know, some kind of universal truths or of course technology now. Um, but I thought it was, yeah, very, very nicely shot. I mean, it really kind of has some elements of, you know, kind of film noir. I heard there's some mm-hmm. commentary about kind of Hitchcock almost a little bit. I mean, there's really for individuals that are looking for a film that really has a lot of everything. And at one point, like you mentioned, Callan, it's a bit satirical because he's jump. He's essentially like going up the mountain with his partner on his back. And, <laughs> and you're like, wait, is this supposed to be a joke? And you're like, no, no, no. But like, this is the style. So I think that that really kind of has it where people kind of sit back and say like, okay, like we can have a reprieve in a second. You're like, Oh, and there's a murder, right? It, it really kind of interplays on a lot of things that, um, again, are, are exciting. Um, and, but I did, yeah, this kind of detective romantic thriller is not a genre that I necessarily would gravitate to always. Um, but again, very well done. And, uh, um, uh, and uh, yeah, one that you probably have to see a couple of times just to kind of unpack a couple of the other additional layers. Yeah, actually, our theater like people were laughing hard during some of the parts Mm -hmm. and um i was gonna say uh, we mentioned off uh, before off mic um the like initial interrogation scene with the sushi boxes like (laughs) that was amazing like he shoots food very well um those like sushi boxes were incredible yeah describe describe the sushi boxes well i mean i don't know all the pieces that were in them but essentially it's just like a very like sexy looking box like almost the size of a shoe box oh yeah and they like open them up and pull out all the like uh like chopsticks and bowls and stuff and all their food and then they eat it together and it's like fancy very fancy it looks very expensive it looks so good Mm mm-hmm 
I just want it. I was like, I want to eat that. Yeah. You talk about product placement. Well, <laughs> if you compare that to like, if we get takeout sushi, we have like six trays, like soy sauce packets yeah. and like chopsticks. In a bag and, tied at the top. Yeah. 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 And then like we get it on a table and like, it just looks kind of like scummy and gross. Like, Even if it tastes good, yeah, yeah, it, it looks, looks just flat. like yeah. the 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 cleanup process and everything. Whereas, like when they packed it up, it just all went neatly back into the box, mm-hmm. and then they mm-hmm. just leave and like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, they made no mess. Yeah, not everyone gets the fancy sushi treatment. That's we learned that. Yes, real um, quick. <laughs> I I would recommend this to anyone, especially like you said, Nat, that that want that ha- like wants like a movie that has like some crime elements, but some like romance elements, but some like intrigue and. It's it's a it's a bit of a weird it's a bit of a weird hang to be honest, but mm-hmm. it was it was like really cool and one that I want to rewatch because I definitely didn't get it all the first time. Yeah, no, right, definitely at the heart of it a love story, and at the end of the day, who doesn't like a love story? <laughs> yeah, uh, Cal, let's talk about the whale. Okay, yeah, so this is uh, directed by Darren Aronofsky. You'll know him from difficult to watch films such as Requiem for a Dream or Black Swan. So. He's got, he's got a mood to him, I would say. Uh, so this is about a reclusive English teacher living with severe obesity. We're talking like 600 plus pounds here. Uh, who's attempting to reconnect with his estranged teenage daughter for one last chance at redemption. And so uh, the man, uh, he believes that he is in his last week of his life uh, as he's been just eating himself to death. And it can be like sometimes pretty graphic it can be like definitely heavy at moments uh and the man himself he is played by brendan fraser and he puts like a tour de force performance uh he's wearing like a full gigantic fat suit which has been in the news a little bit lately of like there's been some like pushback against whether he should be playing these roles or not i'm not really interested in having that conversation um right now but I was just like blown away by his performance. And one of the things after I watched the movie, because we haven't seen Brendan Fraser on film in a long time, like pretty much like a decade, basically he's been doing like some TV stuff, but I like, I I went and did some digging on him and like, what's he been up to? And he like went through like a pretty difficult like life period where he took some roles that like didn't really work out for him and he was actually involved in like where he accused a member of the Hollywood Foreign Press uh, at the Golden Globes, yeah, uh, of like sexually assaulting him, and it kind of got him like kind of pushed out of Hollywood. So this is like his redemption tour as well, and like his big push back into Hollywood. And I thought his performance was like absolutely fantastic, and. Uh, I, I actually, he did an interview with GQ and I wanted to read part of the quote that he said. And so earlier in like his career, he had been doing these like big action films. We know him from stuff like the mummy and there was, yeah, yeah. shout out to your girlfriend. (laughs) Um, but at one point he actually compared himself to the horse from animal farm. And so he says that because uh, he says the, uh, the horse's job was just to work and work and work and he worked for the good of the whole and he didn't ask questions and he didn't make trouble until it killed him. 
And that's kind of how he felt at the time because he's actually gone through like a tremendous amount of like back surgeries and knee stuff. And he said for like for seven years, he was just in and out of hospitals. And I was thinking about that quote and they kept describing him in the interview as like just a really optimistic guy who's like truly believes that like in the good in life. And I felt like you could see that through all the layers of this fat suit and like feel that in this character. And yes, we're watching a man really deteriorate on screen. It takes place like over a week and uh, it's all just set in his apartment. And I think that you can really feel the actor's presence just shine through the whole, all of this. And um, I left, like, I was, like, tearing up at the end. I, I really liked it. There are parts of it that I have gone back back on and I like I think you can really get caught up in the moment and the emotions of the film uh especially like involving his daughter played by Sadie Sink which you'll know as Max from Stranger Things uh I would recommend this and I won't it won't be for everyone because some people will find it a little hard to watch at times I think uh Kev what do you you have any thoughts yeah I mean that's I mean your synopsis and evaluation of Brendan Fraser spot on um he carries it because he's in every scene and he's the center point of every every scene and if, even if he's not the one talking it's two people talking about him so like his presence had to be a plus for it to work well and it was um you know i found that in com- in comparison to him like his caregiver um character would be the only other one um liz that I thought was like also quite a good performance and and like Sadie Sink was fine, but she, her job was to be like a petulant teenager and be like angry. She is not nice. And she's not nice. Mm -mm. And that's her job and she does it just fine. But I feel like the emotional depth relies like entirely on Brandon Fraser and he's phenomenal and, and really like, he's really good. It also watches like a play. It's adapted from a play. It's one set, Mm -hmm. right? It's one, it moves around like one room for the most part, one and a half rooms. Um, for the most part of the whole movie. So it was, yeah, it felt very like fitting, like for, for our film fest environment, we went down there and, you know, we'd lined up, we got in, we, we, we kind of knew what we were like, ex- like you knew it was like Aronofsky about obesity and about one man adapted from a play. I feel like you kind of knew what we were getting into and it delivered. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to watch those sort of, uh, those sort of stories where it just takes place in one space for the entire thing. Like, you get a little claustrophobic. Like, when every time they, like, went outside, even if it was just Liz going out for, like, a smoke or to talk to the deliver, like, to talk to the boy, it was, like, almost a breath of fresh air, literally yes. for us, mm-hmm. to get away, get outside for even just a moment. Um, but, yeah, it's stuck there, and they, they let you they let you sit with it for the entire movie. So, um, I was impressed start to finish. I don't think this is going to be a big rewatch for me, but I'll be interested to see if the Academy recognizes Brendan Fraser specifically for this yes. movie. Maybe Aronofsky in, in the hunt, but not, but, but Fraser specifically Nat. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I mean, I, I'd say that this probably in my view was probably one of the most hype movies at for sure this year. Um, you know, again, you know, we know Brendan Fraser, you know, George, George, George of the jungle. Um, <laughs> and so I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm quite confident that he'll get a, a nod for it. Um, you know, at a war time, I would say what was 
really interesting about it, you know, very dark, it had a lot of different layers. I mean, it has religious cult, you know, a significant homosexuality kind of component, and I would say kind of societal acceptance or not acceptance of obesity. Um, and so like Callan said, it isn't going to be for everyone. I mean, there, I think there are mixed reviews, um, you know, from kind of the, the, the hires above than us. Um, um, but I think it also is one of those ones where you go into it with pretty lofty expectations. And I think that that kind of can implement it, you know, and, and affect your, your watching. There was a couple of moments where I was almost like, is, are they trying to be joking here? Um, and I struggled a little bit with that, which was a bit different from some of his others. Um, but I thought that, you know, I kind of came away with it. And, uh, and again, it makes you think. And at the end of the day, that's what we go for. We go to make it think. And even if it's just thinking to ourselves or we think to other people, um, it's, uh, yeah, it is one of those ones where it's uh, nice. I, uh, I thought the title and of course there being a component of the Moby Dick, um, actual book and, um, how that interplayed again obviously not in the title only but throughout the film as kind of a calming feature and, and whichever I thought was really interesting and you kind of sit back and you're like oh right okay that's why that's like that and you kind of have some you end up being able to answer some questions after the fact um, once you had uh, and once you had actually watched it and again all notable characters that most people will see and sometimes people want to see people that they know um, and that I think uh, is one of those things with Viv too is that you'll have super big name actors um, I didn't mention it but the son I mean you have Anthony Hopkins you you know have Hugh Jackman Laura Dern like they're all big characters and then you have somebody that you've never seen before and you're just as happy with both of them and that's a nice kind of thing about Viv it gives you a, a nice kind of place to explore that yeah I think when I was thinking about the movie and I like I talked about how Brendan Fraser's like personality was shining through in the performance and when he talked about that quote about how he like works and works and works and that's what he was kind of doing to his own body uh you see that in this movie where like all he does is teach these online english classes and with the sole purpose of like making sure that he has enough money to provide for this estranged daughter that he has and that's his that was his purpose and i felt like when i read that quote afterwards i was like that's what you're doing in this movie and that's what you're doing in your real life. And I just feel like he was perfect for it. Mm -hmm. You're rooting for him. Name a more infectious laugh. Brendan Fraser's like little giggle <laughs> all time. Also, I'm not sure if you either of you are Scrubs fans, but oh. he is in like six episodes of Scrubs roughly. Mm. And he's like the that's blast from the past. Most like emotional, like um, part of the whole series. He's got the funeral episode. And, yeah. And it's like, all time that's like it's like if you talk to like scrub super fans i'm like a three four times through the whole series guy what's the quote like where are where we? do you think we are yeah yeah he mm. he is like the yeah it's like a huge thing it's like the episode of scrubs if you're a scrubs fan it's like everyone knows the like where do you think we are line is like a huge deal mm -hmm. and it's delivered by him and it's like he's got his little laugh and his little cry and in, in that he's yeah he's something so um i'm pretty stoked to see him like back and i wonder if it's gonna mean more coming i want to did you guys find it kind of, it was a little off-putting to me. There were moments where you would see him like gorging on food and stuff. And you could hear in the crowd, like a lot of like, no, or, oh, and just, it felt like there was like definitely elements of fat phobia mm -hmm. in our crowd. And it was just like a little upsetting to me. And I'm like, well, what did you think that you were coming to see? Yep. Well, I, I don't know if the groaning, well, I think I felt the groaning a little bit more like they were like rooting for him to, to, to like have some sort of redemption. Like we had talked about before, which is like 
perhaps his connection with his daughter would inspire him to like like you know and and Liz start is on like, a different healthy yeah, path start on a different path mm-hmm. and so i feel like every time and also every time he like went and like gorged it was like something bad had set him off to yes. do it so um yeah to some degree i understand but it, yeah there there it is interesting when you see a movie like this with like so many like emotional ups and downs like when you see it with a thousand people or 1800 people because like i was i was telling cal and after our screening like the woman like right in front of us was like so emotive it was like something happened she'd be like oh and then like two seconds later she'd be like oh <laughs> and like she was like all on it every like 90 seconds she was like humming or hawing or owing or laughing or something um but yeah I don't know if I necessarily felt like it was fat phobia as much as like they were just like worried about the character and okay. and they probably didn't envision what was like going, what was going to happen. Right. I think though that that is a good point about just simply, you know, whether we have all of our vices, whether it's food or otherwise. I mean, I think that that, that kind of concept of relatability in some component, I mean, not necessarily, you know, 600 plus pounds and whichever, but I think that, you know, when things happen and this and that, um, that, you know, it is one of those things where we, we can relate to it and something happens. Okay. What do we do about this? Okay. We'll, we'll try this or, or whichever. But I do think that, uh, yeah, there definitely is reactions. Although I would be interested to know, and this is, you know, a little bit of a funny question, but I mean, were people leaving the theater being like, should we go have dinner now? You know, like, you know, it was one of those things where was it so off putting to people that they said like, I, I don't want to end up like that. I, I, I thought a little bit about like, well, you know, is that, it does, is it affecting people like that, that they say, okay, you know, I don't want to become that or, oh, I see components of that in my real life. Maybe I don't use food as advice. I use it as something else, but there again, maybe an, a deeper relatability component. But, um, I like Kev, I was just going to say too, about the, um, it being a play. I am surprised not now, I guess the number of films, just generally speaking, that are based on plays, um, and that again do really well because it's just it's that premise of at some point that sole focus almost heightens the watchability factor that people are saying like, well, I can only ever do one thing um, and one room, and you know it's going to be that much better. So I think that will be kind of a, a conversation piece for for later too. Yeah, and keep and keeping the scope tight. is another thing that I think plays do really well. And then obviously like adaptations of plays, it's like you go there and you don't have to worry about like figuring out all the settings. If you watch like a major movie that has like a huge budget and they're in like 10 different cities and 10 different buildings per city, you're just like whipping through things. Whereas something like this is just like completely self-contained. It's just like squished into a little ball and you just like get dropped in the middle of it and you have to spend your whole time there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's a different experience, but um, I always feel like I almost like understand them more. It's it's easier for me to like understand what's going on because you're just dropped into it, right? Um, okay, let's uh, let's we're gonna close out talking about two um, two other films that Callan and I saw, and Nat didn't. Nat, feel free to hop in and, and pepper us with questions as you see fit. But we saw Rice Boy Sleeps at the Rio, uh, Cal, and uh, before. Um, before we talk a little bit about the movie, you and I were first in line. Yes. And I think we had been like spooked a little bit downtown over the last like couple of screenings that we were like, man, we, we got to be like on time early to make sure we get A, parking, B, like get in and get a spot that we want to sit. Also, yeah, there's just two of us and it was at the Rio. It's just completely different. You just don't have to be 50 minutes early or whatever. No. But 
I will say we were in line and the like staff were like moving stuff in and out and they were like getting set up and we were like right at, at the front and we were like, geez, like, are we like way early? But then even 10, 15 minutes after we showed up, there was Big a line, line and then the place was absolutely jammed. Like it was completely stuffed every single seat for that screening. Um, and so I'm happy we were doing it. Although at the moment when we walked up, I was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> well, then we got popcorn and we got our snacks and we had aisle seats, which was really important Ooh, for you aisle. because Truth. you were struggling. Physical comfort. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we watched so many people struggle to find seats. So we no made the right choice. No regrets whatsoever. None. Um, okay. Uh, Cal, you want to give the um, plot synopsis and then we'll talk a little bit about Rice, Rice Boy Sleeps. Yeah. So. Rice Boy Sleeps. It is directed and written by uh, local guy, Anthony Shim. It is set in the 90s, and it's about a Korean single mother who raises her young son in the suburbs of Vancouver, and she's determined to provide a better life for him than the one she left behind. They've recently immigrated from Korea to Vancouver. And it's it's much more heart-wrenching than I went in realizing there's definitely a moment where Kevin and I were like, oh, yeah. And, uh, but it's dealing with themes of racism, microaggressions, as well as like attempting to maintain the culture and your heritage from where you came from. But at the same time, especially when dealing with like the younger son, the younger son's trying to like assimilate into Canadian North American culture. He wants to be one of the other kids. He doesn't necessarily want to be like, the boy with noodles or sushi as his lunch. He wants to have sandwiches and like lunchables or whatever. Um, and I really loved it. It has, it's not only heart wrenching. It has absolutely moments of comedy. Um, and like a, a, a perfect example of this is like the teacher wants the, is ha- is struggling it like, and the whole class is struggling and pronouncing the young son's name. And so, uh, she actually has like a little meeting with the mom and she's like, maybe we can like try one of these names. And it's like David, John, Patrick, and, uh, in, in the car ride home, the like little five-year-old boy, he's like, I want to be Michael Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> and they have, BMJ, like, BMJ. yeah, they, they have this like fight about that. And so like they're, it's not just like hitting you over the head with like problem, 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 social issues, uh, it has like these heartfelt and comedic moments to it as well, as well as it's just like, it's cool to see something shot in your hometown and it is gorgeous. It's all shot on film. And there's something that I don't want to get into like what happens, but there's something that like actually gets them to go and return to Korea and they go and take a trip and like learn more about where they, where, where they came from. And when it's shot in Korea, it's like, all farmland and countryside and it looks just exquisite and the, like the music I really loved and uh Kevin maybe you can talk about like how, how food is used in this film well a bit. two things uh yes I mean again like we talked about in the previous one I'm always I always have the eye out for for food and and in the Q&A the director talked about food for like quite a bit so it was like a major component um one thing I want to say about the the familiar setting was like watching it it really felt like it was set here. Like it, it was set here. It was filmed here. It was so noticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, the gray, the wet, the like school buildings, you know, like for the most part, like I'm not, to- I'm not sure exactly where it was set um, or sorry, set and or filmed, but like 
your like elementary schools all around this area, all around East Van, all around like the the like Burnaby, Richmond, they're all kind of the same. The buildings, especially in the nineties, yeah, mm-hmm. and the buildings all kind of feel similar, right? And we were all kids that were in elementary school during the nineties, right? I think we're we're a little bit younger than the director, who you know feels like he's reaching into his like childhood for some of this for sure. Um, but like it's they're in the schoolhouse and then the high school, and I'm like I'm I've I'm there. I've like really just go back to your high school and you're like, I feel it. So the familiar setting, not only just like, um, like the Vancouver, like the forest and the trees and the schools and stuff, but just everything that they do all the way down to their house. Like I was talking to Cal right when we left, I was like that, that I've been in that house. I obviously haven't been in the house that they filmed in, but I may as well have up the steps, down the stairs with the living room and the kitchen and the spot. I've like, I've been to like a dozen of those that look the exact same. And so the entire time that we were watching, I was like, I'm just in it because I've been to all these spots. Maybe not specifically, but I may as well have. Um, yeah, it was interesting uh, during the whole thing. Like they, they share a bunch of meals. And I feel like in any culture, like sharing food with each other is like a, is like a major part of like the, you know, family environment. You know, whether or not it's just the two of them or whether or not it's like a family or a group or like coworkers in her example. But like having a chance to like clear off the table and have a bunch of food together is like a really important feeling of like familial um, community. Remember, guys, this is why I showed up with this podcast with cookies. Because you cannot come with at least some type of food. It's the community feel. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And he he spoke to that in the Q&A and it's very visible on screen and it just looks good. And I don't know if I'm just constantly hungry when I go to screenings, but I'm definitely hungry when I leave them. Totally. Well, and like you guys had said, this was one that I really had wanted to see. And of course, the schedule just simply couldn't allow. Um, And actually, I had two questions. One of them that you guys have essentially answered already, you know, really is if you were not from Vancouver or didn't grow up in Vancouver, would you have had a different screening experience? And I think, you know, both of you guys had kind of explained, um, you know, your thoughts about that. I think that the the second one um, is related-ish, um, where I think that, um, you know, we talk, there's been a lot of discussion with, you know, immigration and whichever a movement of people. I'm wondering, um, did this work really well because it was a Korean um, back and forth in terms of, you know, that's where they came? Like, would it have been a completely different film if it was set in India? Um, you know, if it was from a very different place, you know, was there something about, um, you know, kind of the Asian culture that made the movie for you? Or, or again, was it not necessarily related to that? I think it could have worked with a lot of different immigrant stories and uh, countries of origin. Um, This felt, because I come from the Vancouver background, it felt relatable Mm -hmm. because it was, it doesn't, for Vancouver, it doesn't need to be a Korean family. Uh, It was, it is, but it could, like, because it has this Asian background, it, it does fit just being from here. But I think the story and like really, at the root of this movie, it is a mother-son story. And you could have had any culture, like black, white, European, mm-hmm. anything, and just like immigration and put those together and you get the same, like, uh, it, it still works. And I think that, uh, well, first of all, I'll just say that this was my favorite movie that I watched at VIF this year. Mm-hmm. I like I was just like so impressed by it. And um, you, you get to see like just, I was really impressed by the acting. The mom, she'd never acted before. She was a dancer. 
and we get to see like some it's hard to work with children and you get to see a boy at five years old he was there for the q a absolutely adorable and then uh, you get to see him and then later on at 16 years old and i thought they both did like a great job and so like he felt like a little kid it felt real they felt loving and then later on he's going through that like teen angst where he just wants to be with his friends he doesn't want to hang out with his mom yeah it's real yeah a very real story yeah Awesome watch. I, I really hope it's accessible. That's one thing we were also talking about is I just don't know where it's going to be after after the like film fest run is over. So hopefully this movie comes to like a streaming service or is at least rentable on YouTube or something. But this is this is one I yeah we can't um, recommend high enough. Mm-hmm. And it won the best Canadian film award. Boom. So. Go Tony. Yep. Um, okay, let's close out. Um, as predicted, we. Went over time, but who cares because we're having a blast and we're talking about all of our sick VIF movies. So um, let's talk about The Grizzly Truth. Uh, this one is one we circled at the very beginning um, for, a, for, for a plot synopsis. This is writer-director, local girl, Kat Jamie. She um, did a movie that Cal saw at VIF um, that I saw more recently called Finding Big Country, a documentary about finding big country Bryant Reeves. Um, tracking him down, figuring out where he is. This is her follow-up, and it's like building off of that, and it's a whole feature-length doc uh, documentary about um, the Vancouver Grizzlies and sort of their first their arrival in Vancouver, um, the history of the team, and then the history and and like breakdown of their departure and subsequent like getting sold to Memphis. Um, the this movie has you know a ton of voices from that Grizzlies team. All of us would have been kids when the Grizzlies were here. Um, so there was like a, just a massive slap of nostalgia right across the face as we were watching this movie. But, um, yeah, I was mostly, I'm mostly impressed with, um, yeah, the director Kat's ability to kind of like star in it as like a big super fan of the Vancouver Grizzlies, but also take on the like reporting duties of interviewing these people, some of which are her childhood heroes, many of which are her childhood heroes, but also asking them questions about mostly the departure and the sort of toxicity around that, like those final that final year really about right before the team left and, and get, um, get voices, get different voices. I I was mostly just so impressed with her ability to go, go out and get all the people into this film. Right. Like that was like one thing that this, this movie like relied on heavily, which was interviews with all the major players in this, in that moment um, and seeing them now. And uh, yeah, she, she injects herself really well into the story, which I, which I like. It's an interesting documentary style because I feel like when you watch docs, like you either get, um, you know, a story about something that's happening now, right? Or you get sort of historical documentaries and you piece together interviews. But her kind of medley of like herself now with the historical element and the people now was pretty unique and, and, and a really like enjoyable way to watch it. And it wasn't just like you were watching a history lesson. You were also watching someone discovering something simultaneous to you. So, um, I was very impressed. Cal, we had an absolute mob watch. We watched with like 12 people. Um, got there early, got blocked off seats. The whole crew rolled in. It was super fun. And it was definitely like an energetic and um, sportsy crowd that had a bunch of Grizz- Grizzlies paraphernalia. Carrie wore her Lakers jersey and got absolutely <sighs> raked at the... Uh, people were giving her a hard time, but <laughs> she was loving it. So it's all good. Um, but we had all... To be fair, I was wearing her Grizzly shorts. So, you know, <laughs> she's got it all. But... Uh, your experience um, at that watch and your kind of like feedback and like thoughts about the movie. 
Well, I was, like you said, really impressed with the people that she got involved, especially like one of the marquee and like the best moment of the documentary is where she actually gets an interview with Steve Francis, who of course is the infamous player who shunned the Grizzlies, drafted number two overall and said, I'm not going to come to Vancouver. And she is in it. She never gets in touch with him. So she actually just goes to Houston and goes to one of his like card signings and is like, Hey, like I want to tell your story. And it's like this big moment of elation. You can, she's like really nervous in that moment. And I'm like nervous for her. Of course I know it's going to work out because we have this documentary, but like there's genuine emotion in that moment. And I was like really excited for that. Um, and I think she did a really good job of ex- kind of explaining, like, it was going to be really hard for the Grizzlies to survive here. And uh, there's not one singular person who's at fault of, like, they moved because of this. And she shows multiple different angles as to why this kind of occurred. And it's unfortunate, but yeah, the 12 year old inside of me was just like smiling to bits. And then I got, I went up and asked a Q and a question afterwards, which I Rachel found, Callen. yeah, I found very stressful, but, um, yeah, just imagine it her. was great. She was answering <laughs> dozens, which of was Callen's first answer. Yeah, but she does that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, I, I enjoyed that. And I like thought of, I thought, I thought of a, I think a pretty good question I asked, like if there was anyone that she wished could have been involved with the project, who would that have been? And she named one of my favorite Grizzlies ever, Michael Dickerson. And so I felt it just like validated in my mind. I'm like, yes, I like, yeah. You're like, I that's knew the it. answer I was looking for. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I did a big like gleeful clap. Yeah. I will say a lot of those like highlights, like when they like won their second game, their home opener <laughs> of their first season. Yeah. I was like, goosebumps because the footage is incredible mm-hmm. and they're the guys are reenacting it and talking about that moment and um yeah really it i mean i hope it it made a lot of people feel and i imagine a lot of people were in the crowd were either grizzlies fans or vancouver sports fans that like were like oh the grizzlies were pretty cool and it was cool to have them here but um geez it made me be like that it would be sweet to have a team like it would mm-hmm. be like incredible to have the team because i feel like a lot of us cheer for the raptors or like I like the Blazers because they're in Portland and I would visit Miles down there a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's just not the same as having a hometown team that like, sure. you can really ride for that are right here. Yeah, yeah, we didn't get the experience of like being adults and no. like being able to go to games on our own no, totally. dime, which like I would be spending a lot of money on tickets. True, yeah. you'd, you'd be a season ticket holder. Yeah, <laughs> not. Uh, I'm sure you went to some Grizzlies games. Do you have any? What's your Grizzlies oh. like? Uh, like nostalgia feeling. Well, I, you know, Sharif Abdul Rahim. Like, you know, I think that, like you said, it's just like all of the care, like all characters, all of the real basketball players. Right. Um. You know, they were like se- seemingly like unattainable. Like they were like celebrity superstars. Superstars. Yeah. And then to simply have it where again we were on the younger side, um, where you don't really know like the impact of losing a sports team and how many people were involved and like you said Callan it wasn't a one thing it wasn't you know 
an incident. It wasn't a scandal. It was, you know, that was very thing. I, I mean, I, it's interesting that again, two of the movies, um, this also was on my list again, couldn't see. Um, but it, it's, it's one of those ones that both of these movies again, have a local flair and people love to see local. They love to see what they can relate to. Um, and I think a lot of people, I mean, there was a push, I don't know how many years ago to really get the Grizzlies back. Like, could we get them back? Like, could they try? And I mean, we all know that that's very unlikely. Um, but I think it is one of those things where it's like people just love, they love the underdog story. They love to be able to see like this happened in real time. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, when she first brought out the finding big country, it was just like, oh yeah. Oh, I remember that. Like, God, he was huge, (laughs) you know, like that, that kind of, um, interesting kind of component. But no, I mean, I think that it would, I'm, what I would be interested to know is what, she's going to do next because she's not a hit one hit wonder by any means. Um, and, uh, I mean, I think she obviously has a subject matter expertise, Mm -hmm. but I'm interested to know, like, does she, and I guess this is a question for both of you guys, you know, is it one of those things where, you know, she pivots into another sport, she pivots into another untold story. Does she go, how far does she go down the line with this? Um, and that's maybe a question you guys can ask her, um, you know, of, what what does she do? What does she do next? Yeah, and I know she she has worked on other projects like that aren't her own projects, mm-hmm. but she works as like a, you know I'm not actually sure to be honest like her role, but she she works in other like cinematic projects as well. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm I'm curious. Like we're obviously Cat Jamie fans on on this show, and uh, I'm sure if she gets another passion project that she goes after and it's it's like successful, it'll be cool. But mm-hmm. I. I feel like my guess would be that she stays in the like sports doc world. Cause that's like where she's building her foothold. But I, honestly, I don't know. I mean, she could also go into like the more like Vancouver stuff. That's not sport, but also stay local. Honestly, I'll have to ask her, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I want, I wonder um, just uh, stay tuned after, after our segments over, we'll have an interview with Kat and potentially some of these answers will be um, revealed. Explored. Yeah. Explored. So um, Cal, any parting thoughts on Grizzly Truth or any any uh, any VIF experience? Um, I I think like I was looking through the movies that I went to, and uh, in the Whale, in Rice Boy Sleeps, in the Grizzly Truth, and I like movies. I could hear people crying in the theater, and I was getting emotional as well in several of those screenings and. I just had such a good time going to VIF. And I think that like it's re-energized me and like this is why I go to movies. And like you can feel this energy. We talked about a lot about this at the beginning, but like I just really want to cement that thought. And that's kind of like my closing statement. Like, like there are a lot of people that like movies that go to VIF and they bring a really positive energy of just like really excited to be there. And I absolutely like soaked it up and I can't wait to go again next year. Yeah. Uh, Nat, uh, first, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on. Um, I feel like we were in line for the whale when you walked by and, and it just like clicked. I was like, I was like, Nat's like, uh, always talking, talking to us about movies and is, we know to be like a VIF, like mega supporter <laughs> and we're doing a VIF episode like next week let's get Nat on. And, and I was like, Cal, get over there. And Cal like scampers down the block <laughs> to find you in line and establish this. And you were like, so like, gra- gracious and like wanted to come on. And it's awesome to have you on. Um, you know, no doubt when we do a VIF, VIF episode next, next year, you'll be back if you, if you so desire. 
<laughs> no, totally. Well, I think again, first and foremost, it's, it truly is my pleasure to be here. Um, and you know, I want to thank you guys. I mean, I think that it's so nice to be able to see, you know, your podcast be successful, be able to continue again, episode 21, no big deal. Um, you know, I really think that that's so nice. It really is. Again, I'm, I'm humbly, you know, I'm humbled by being asked and I think it's nice to be able to kind of share our thoughts. And I mean, I would similar to Callan, I think you really got a part on, I mean, why do we like movies? It's, it's an escape. It's, you know, between an hour and four hours of, of, of real escape. And it's one of those things where you can talk over a cup of tea, you can talk over a drink, you can go to dinner, you can just it really kind of can unite people and it's a really human experience and I think at the end of the day that's really what VIF does and it allows it to be local it allows it to you to keep coming back and it will it'll keep coming back and yeah for for your viewers um, you know feel free to you know let me know if there's any other ones that you're interested in I'm always happy to discuss and uh, and then again if people want to be involved in the next year a whiteboard fiasco if you will <laughs> yeah. um, that's really what's going to happen and, and I can have a, I can have a crowd people but again it's my pleasure um, and thank you guys very much for doing this and, and for being asked. I was very tickled. Great. Awesome. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, next year we'll do a, a flex and chill documentary on how Nat chooses her movies. <laughs> It'll be a romantic thriller. Yeah, I was just going to say. <laughs> um, thanks so much for tuning in. And we'll see you next time on Flix and Chill. Thanks everyone. Thank you.